Welcome back to another episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am Danger, and joining me is my uh, breakdown bro. I don't know. Uh, hmm. yeah. I don't like the term breakdown bro. Okay, well then I'm going to use breakdown bro from here on out. Monster, say hi, Monster. Hi. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> on this episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast, we are going to be talking Athenaeum's album, Radiance. Yes. So, Monster, you brought this one to me. Why did you bring this one? Okay, so let's just go ahead and get it up front. I have a unabashed, nostalgic love for this album. I understand I'm going to try to be objective and actually comment on the songs as they are right now and not completely ramble about my feelings. But what I can say is Athenaeum does mean a lot to me. For those of you listening all over the place, this band Athenaeum is from Greensboro, North Carolina, which is where Danger and I mostly grew up. I actually have some family that went to school with with Mark Kano, who's the lead singer and lead songwriter of the band. I've seen this band a couple times live. Uh, I have a very funny story to tell about when I was about 12 or 13 years old about one of these songs in particular that well, I'll, I'll save it till we get to the song. But objectively not just nostalgically but objectively i think this is an underrated pop rock college rock band i think that in the midst of your hootie and the blowfish your counting crows your sister hazels i think athenaeum sort of got lost in the shuffle and i think they're pretty good i think they're just as good as most of those bands if not a little bit better in some areas so i just kind of wanted to bring this up if you're a fan of that like mid to late 90s you know uh like some of the bands i just mentioned but also bands like dishwalla and better than ezra there's there's a bunch of bands like that i think this is a good one it slots in nicely with those other bands and and i enjoy it now danger i'm sure you've heard some of this album but had had you heard this album before are you a fan at all of athenaeum well there's one song that everybody knows and we will talk about that when we get there yeah you probably don't think you know an athenaeum song but you know one athenaeum song yeah and when we talked about doing this and the lady was like what album are you doing next and i told her she was kind of like, who are they? And I mentioned the song name and she was like, oh yeah, and pulled it right up. And she was like, yeah, okay, I know them. So, okay, one of the things that this band showed is that there's a lot more talent in this area of our our pocket of the U.S. than a lot of people really pay attention to. Now, I know that out on the coast, Wilmington had film program for years. I don't think they do much anymore. But this band is a band that is standard college melodic post grunge, just straightforward. That's what they are. And you're right where you mentioned uh, Hootie and the Blowfish and all, they slot in great with those bands. I see them as being an opening act for the bands mentioned. And then, you know, better than Ezra and all and better than Ezra is still kicking. I saw them a few years ago. No. And I actually uh, better than Ezra is probably in my top probably 20 bands of all time. I, I their album deluxe. I love their album deluxe. I love deluxe. How does your garden grow before the robots? I mean, I'm, I'm probably a bigger fan of better than Ezra than most people. So this genre, do you want to call it is, is kind of a sweet spot for me as much as I love new metal and heavy stuff. 
this kind of sound works really well for me too. So the lead guitar player, and I don't know his name. I have it in my notes somewhere, but he's probably the most talented of anybody in the band. And that makes sense because there was a ton of these types of bands around this area. People I went to high school with, and the lead guitar player was always the the best one. He he was, and one of those uh, lead guitar players actually has gone on to have a fairly successful music career. So I do struggle with this album, though. Now you mentioned before that you're ready to get your heart broken. So <laughs> allow me, allow me to do so. Okay, go for it. Aside from the first song, all the songs sound the same to me. No, they do not. Oh, that hurts so bad. <laughs> they all... Okay, there's like one that jumps out at me after that first song, and we'll talk about it, but most of the album just sounds the same. It, it's the same rhythm, the same guitar tones. I mean, the guitar tone changes a little bit. I'll give it that. Okay. I, it's like I can almost hear... That it's a bass player with an electric guitar player, a drummer, and the lead singer's got an acoustic guitar. And his voice does not change. It sounds the same on every song. So I disagree with almost everything you said. But what I will say is the majority of the songs do sonically feel similar. But there are songs where every song typically has two distinct guitar parts. There's a rhythm and a lead. There's a lot of country feel to some of the songs. There's some steel slide guitar mixed in there. There's songs there that... There is, and, and that did jump out to me, so I will give it that. There's also a couple songs that have these like big, bright, like shimmery, kind of chimey guitar. But then there's these other parts with these big power chords that are just like really full and 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 big sounding. I, I kind of disagree. I think there's a lot going on on this album that really, I don't know. Like, I think sonically, there's a lot to, to enjoy here. While a lot of the songs do share the same sonic space, they share the same sonic square, <laughs> the same one by one foot square. There are a few parts of this album that reach out a little bit, that branch out a little bit, but Overall, all the songs sound like I could go to any college bar around Clemson and South Carolina and hear this band. So as as a person who probably never really listened to this record until I brought it to the table for us to talk about in a short amount of time, I can see it feeling that way as someone who's listened to this album. Since the day it came out, I I really like can hear the distinction in the songs and the songwriting. I get where you're coming from, though. And I think as a, a casual listener, most people would agree with you. Uh, each song, I've got some notes about the musicality and the musicianship. And there's a couple of subtle things that maybe I picked up on that just because I've been listening to this for 20 years. That's fair. That, that you might have, you know, missed or something. But I, I have to take the rose colored glasses off and admit that yeah, this is a college rock album and all the songs fit that under that bill. With that being said, a lot of albums are that way and some of those are great albums. So, and I'm going to disagree with that at all. And now I do want to say this is a nineties college rock album. 
This is sure. very much a 90s college rock album. Now, college rock sounds much different now than it did at the time. But, oh, absolutely. But this is, to me, I feel like I could go into a bar and watch the football game and watch this band play live and get a picture yeah. of Bud Light. And I don't have to show that I'm with anybody to get a full picture. <laughs> and and you might not walk away going, oh, my God, that band blew my mind. But you're also not going, God, I wish that band would shut up. Like, it's 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 pleasant. <laughs> Well, it is for me, damn it. <laughs> I I didn't say anything. I, I We could play it back. I didn't say anything. No, but the look on your face that I know the listeners can't see said a lot. <laughs> yes, my look was loud. So, so okay. So uh, the, let, let's, let's jump let's into it. it. Yeah, okay. So the first song, What I Didn't Know. What I didn't know is I was killing you. I said a lot of things that I didn't mean to, but I am older now that I'm sorry. I mean, I guess we call that the big hit. <laughs> I I think you call this the biggest hit of their entire career because this was everywhere. This song still yeah. gets played in places. And and you know what? And so that was the point I was trying to make. For every time that I hear Mr. Jones by Counting Crows, or every time I hear Cumbersome by Seven Mary Three, like, why don't I hear this more? Like, I feel like this song is as good, if not better than those songs. It's catchier. It's more upbeat. And it just, I don't know. Like, it, it, you, you're right. It still gets played, but I don't think it gets, it's not quite to that level. And I think it should be. And the song's catchy as hell. I'm going to give it that. It, it's a catchy song. It's a fun song. It's fine. I have no problem with this song. It's the song that, this band will forever be known by if they reun- reunite, if they get back together, they will play this song. This is the song that everybody knows. And I feel like I hear it or have heard it as much as cumbersome or, or whatever. I feel like I have heard it as much as those. Now I do feel like I heard it more, you know, back in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. When did this album come out? 1998. Okay, so that would make sense that I heard it more in the late 90s. But, you know, on through the 2000s, and I would like to say into the 2010s, because we are in 2023 and 2000 feels like it was last year still. Right. For information. Three years ago. Right. Um, now, I do wonder if that is a regional thing, because obviously these guys are from North Carolina. I wonder if maybe our station still throw them a bone every once in a while, or if that's a, you know, I cross. I, I could tell you that I had some friends that I lived with in Charlotte years ago that were from Chicago and they knew the song just as much. And to be honest at the time, I didn't know where these guys were from. I just knew the song. And I will say that it did peak on billboard at number 58, which is not great necessarily, but it's not, but bad. It's not bad, especially for honestly, this, this was just a local band that done good. They, they got a record deal with Atlantic records. Uh, it's funny. Again, I, I had some family that went to school with Mark Kano, the, the lead singer and the main songwriter. And uh, they actually formed in eighth grade. They were just kids that like were that. playing together. And uh, yeah, that they just kind of just blossomed from there. So this is one of the songs. And I think there's one other one that really shows that they are more talented than this album does give them. And I really feel like they 
just got a, a record deal. They got attention really quickly because this was a sound that was very popular at the time. This was a sound that record labels were hunting. I feel like if they kind of had a little bit longer to craft the sound, I know they got together in eighth grade and this was, I don't know how many years after that. I know they had plenty of time to craft the sound, but they crafted the sound to hear. I feel like if they kept working at it, you know, maybe it would have gotten a little bit better. Now we'll say being a obnoxious Uber fan, uh, I, they did release two more records after this. One is just called Athenaeum, and then one I think is called Hourglass. And Hourglass is just a collection of B-sides and stuff. I think it was a contractual kind of album. Still good. It's it's not bad. But I think their second album, Athenaeum, self-titled, I, to your point, does not really go anywhere that this album didn't go. Right. It's it's a lot more of the same. And by I want to say that album came out in 2000, maybe 2002. Uh, by that time, this sound was unfortunately Done. just just not hit. Yeah. yeah. And and I still liked it. Um, uh, you mentioned them getting back together. So I've seen these guys live twice. Once was their last show. And then once was a reunion show. <laughs> OK, I, I but, wouldn't be surprised if they ended up you know, putting the band back together. They, you know, uh, I would imagine that probably in the next five years or so, they might throw something together and play. You know, I saw them at Ziggy's, which doesn't mean anything to anybody but us, but that's a really cool venue that's not around anymore. And, and okay, so real quick, little side story. So I was pretty young when I went to that show and my brother drove and me and him got there super, super early just because we were hanging out and everything. Well, we got there so early that nobody like paid any attention to us. So we literally just walked in while they were sound checking and me and my brother just stood there and got to watch the entire sound check. And now these guys aren't a huge band. I mean, obviously it's not like going in and seeing, you know, Metallica or something, but it was still really neat that we got to go in before anybody else was there and have that intimate moment. But I digress. The moving through the record, track two, flat tire. Yeah. This one is where they start to introduce a slight hint of country twang to it. And a lot of bands at this time, we, we keep bringing up Hootie and the Blowfish, for example. You know, Darius Rucker, he is now a country singer. Hootie and the Blowfish had a lot of country influence. So that's another kind of, you hear a lot of that in this genre. Yeah. So I feel like the singer did what he did, uh, took what he did on what I didn't know, and then applied it to this song because his voice sounds the exact same to me. It's like he's trying to go, okay, that song was a good song. We know it was a good song. We, we've written a song that we all feel really good about. I'm going to do it again, and everybody's going to do something completely different, especially towards the end of the song where nobody knows how to finish it out. Because that ending is terrible. <laughs> So I will. Okay. So Mark Kano's voice is interesting because it is easy to sing along with. 
Yeah. But at the same time, it is distinct. It's a little lower registered than a lot of artists in this genre, which, like you said, makes it more noticeable if and when he's doing something repetitive or not, you know. But I knew this was going to happen. So let me so let me explain a little something here. So the reason this song is cool. OK. OK. Please chorus, why this song is cool. A song about somebody stepping on the back of your shoe. <laughs> <laughs> the lyrics also have some stuff going on and we'll get there. But so musically, the chorus has a really unique chord progression to it. So what it does is during the first three chords, it feels like it's going to resolve on the fourth chord, which is, you know, standard rock music. But instead. It goes to a minor and starts a secondary chord progression, which makes the chorus eight measures instead of just four. And then it ends on this bright chord at the end of the eighth measure, which, again, is a unique little twist that, you know, the little things like that are all strewn throughout this album. And I'll get to some more of those as we go. But those are the things that you pick up on when you listen to an album for 20 years straight. (laughs) No, and that's cool. You know, that's another another bit that supports what I was saying, that the guitar player is probably the most talented out of this entire group, the really guitar player. And, and Alex McKinney, the bass player, is actually really, really good, too. And he has some Paul McCartney-esque, like, walks throughout. Because there's a lot of times where a normal bass player would just hang in the pocket, play the root note. It's a it's a pop rock song. Don't do anything. But instead, he's... Like, completely unnecessary. But it's, it's fun. It adds a little more rhythm to some of these songs that do have that kind of generic simple straightforward drum beat and that's something that you're going to get more out of seeing them twice and listening to the album for uh 25 years you know no absolutely i i get it i know i'm trying to i'm trying to keep that in mind no that's that's fine the bass really didn't jump out to me on this album i think it did in in a couple spots but yeah yeah it, it really didn't jump out to me much at all so I will say on this album, on this song, excuse me, the harmonies are nice. They do some harmonies with the voices, which is nice. And the hooks are a little bit mellow, and it's fine. But this is a Flat standard air. college bar sound song. Yeah, this is not one of my favorites. Uh, I like it, but it's not one of my favorites. However, track three. Yep. On on my mind. You take a little more than I can find. It all comes down to change my mind. And everyone say I like this one a lot. Okay. All I really have on this is he can hold a note. <laughs> and the guitar solo is better here on this song. But that riff gets so damn repetitive in the song. It just ate at my nerves because it was just the same thing over and over and over. And now tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> I can't say that you're wrong. Okay. But what I can say is 
this one. So the first two songs you said kind of had a similar vibe and I, I can, I hear that, but on this one, the guitar starts with this big, warm guitar tone. And then when the song kicks in, the two guitars kind of play off each other nicely. One is a big fuzzy chords and the other one is really chimey. And I love it when they do that. I love it when there's one guitar that's a little bit simpler and one's kind of heavier. Now, this is one where McKinney, the bass player, does a little bit of extra walk-in that he really doesn't have to do. But I think he's like sitting in the studio kind of bored just playing four notes. So he's like, do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> yep. And Maybe the guy won't notice. And, uh, <laughs> and he may be. And that's that's all well and good. I probably would have done the same thing if I was in his position. Now... There's two more things about this song and about this album kind of in general that make it like makes me enjoy it so much. All right. Please do enlighten me. The lyrics. Okay. The lyrics often revolve around kind of young, awkward romance. Like Kano often sings about like trying to fall in love or have someone fall in love with him. And it's, it's awkward and uncomfortable. And in 1998, when I was 13 and going through puberty and hormones, <laughs> I can relate to some of that, like going on my first couple dates and starting to notice girls more. And like, so some of that kind of works for me, you know, Do now you relate to it in 2023, still getting the feelings and being awkward and. I can remember like middle school and early high school a little bit. Yeah. So, um, but what I'll also say is this song has a really cool guitar solo. It's super simple, but those are the kind of lead lines I like. It's very lyrical. It's almost like a vocal melody more than like a shreddy guitar solo. And I like that. So for me, I think this is a really cool song. I I understand that it's just generic college rock again. But if you really get down to the guitar play and kind of get in the headspace of the lyrics, I think it's a cool song. So again, the solo is better on this one. Then before I I really like the solo here. Everything yeah. else is a wash for me. I just I don't really I didn't really care about any of the rest of the song. Okay. You know, the I think the thing that really kind of took me out of it was the repetitive riff that was there. All right. Let's talk track four, Lifeline. Open I get it. It's about a miscarriage. I get it. I get it. I do like the guitar on this one, but those drums are so boring. I, I, I'm about to fall out of my seat. I have listened to this song for 20 years and I never, ever put that together. Ever? Ever. I don't know. I, 
tell you, I mean, are you sitting here looking at me going, I never understood what this song was about, but now I've enlightened you as to what this song is about? No, the way I always took it is basically he's singing about someone that he has a relationship with. They split up and he does miss them. But it's kind of like, you know, I wish this would work out, but, you know, uh, it's not going to work out. And I'll miss you when you're dead, basically, is how I always kind of took it. Go back and listen to it again and think, I know, I know the line, what kind of God would give you life then take it all away? I know. Because what kind of God would give you life and take it all away? Golly. Well, this song took a turn. Now, with that being said, <laughs> uh, the music on this one, you're right. It is it is a little bit dour, um, which I guess goes along with the lyrical content. Jesus. But um, <laughs> I, I need time to process this one. I wasn't ready for this. Um, but if you actually listen to the chord progression, it's very Weezer-esque. It's slow. Yeah, it's slowed down to a little bit more. Um, lethargic kind of sound but i guess that's what it was going for with the lyrics god you now, know what like you you never knew it until now and you're welcome i guess yeah all right so i just looked it up and the weezer the blue album came out in 94 and pinkerton i think came out in 96 uh um, it wouldn't make sense that they would be an influence on yeah. on yeah and i mean i personally think pinkerton was a great album was very underrated and if you disagree with me go back and listen to it again and keep your opinion to yourself but no if you if you have an opinion on that statement uh shoot us an email at danger and gmail.com but the music is a bit more dour and now this song to me is about uh your self-discovery or discovery of a 25 year old well what about the line like if you don't want to be if i don't if you don't want to be in my life then don't like what like how's that a miscarriage though like that sounds like a relationship okay yeah it does sound like a relationship but you know what are the stages of grief one of them is uh rejection if i understand it correctly so a person grieving is you know would be looking at this life that you know became a miscarriage and it would be if you don't want to be here then don't just don't but then there's a line about uh but you'll come back for all the wrong reasons uh i i don't know i don't know i was so in shock when you first threw it out that i just accepted it and and tried to process but i gotta go back and really look at the lyrics go back I don't- look at the lyrics and listen to it again with a uh, miscarriage in mind and you'll have your entire perception on 25 years changed you know, and to be honest with you, just uh, for our listeners, as a rule of thumb, don't listen to most albums with miscarriage in mind. I don't think that's going to be a good time. Yeah. I don't care what album it is. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, Let's go to the next song now. I feel uncomfortable. Uh, all right. So number five, Spotlight. Okay, so nice little solo at 209, 
and it lasts for 40 seconds because it lasted until 2.49. So 40 seconds of this uh, three and a half minute song is a solo. Yeah, but what kind of solo? It's a good solo. It's a sliding, it's like a sliding guitar. Yeah, Yeah, it's a it, it it's a good little solo and the, the slide guitar is throughout the song and it does get a little solo moment and and that's fun this song had some clever lyrics to it cool i feel like this song would be perfect for a wb show gazebo scene oh absolutely 100 percent agree no no argument there i yeah. do have one sounds like a okay. band that we have kind of danced around when we've mentioned all these other bands but we haven't mentioned them yet does this sound like any specific band to you you're gonna have to tell me who you're thinking because huge huge wallflower vibes okay i mean I get that. And, you know, Wallflowers were were big before this album came out. So I, I can see that Wallflowers, uh, that album was a uh, an influence. What was the name of the album? In it. Bringing Down the Horse. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All I, I remember out- about the Wallflowers is that uh, it's Bob Dylan's son. And he's a better right. musician than his father. Oh, 100%. Bob Dylan sucks. Uh, so this came out. Oh, okay. All right. It came out in 1996. You're right. Okay. But yeah, I definitely hear that again. You've got that sort of country sort of mixed in with the pop rock. Again, this wasn't one of my favorites on the album, but I I think it's a well-crafted song and, and the guitar solo, you're right, goes on for a while, but it's at least kind of unique. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's a good little solo, nothing you know doesn't offend my ears so i do want to point out that this is the second episode now to my recollection second episode now that we point out that bob dylan sucks so i think that is a hard and fast opinion of this show is that we do not like bob dylan and we need to have a jingle ready i i like having musical jingles ready so if we can have like a bob Bob dylan sucks (laughs) i i will I'll, i'll put together a actually i'm just gonna pull that clip that's fine <laughs> Bob Dylan sucks okay track six away I never liked this one very much this one drags even more than a lot of the other songs on the album I will say, if you were to minimize the guitar and the bass and add like more like piano and and add the tempo just a couple BPMs, you get a Jackson Brown song. Yeah. Like I feel like this has got big singer songwriter vibes, but it, does. As it is it's just a little too slow for me. It's a little slow, but this is a song to open the set with. It's very much their comfort zone. It's got a nice little guitar intro.
the song yeah. has a build to it, and so they're able to follow it up with something you know a bit you know brighter, a bit bigger. He definitely lets his hootie shine on the vocals. <laughs> I remember, I remember when I saw it live. My brother covered my eyes when he let his hootie shine because he was like, "You're too young to see that, sir." Yeah, no, it, his vocals just. It's all Hootie, no Blowfish. It's it's just it, it's Hootie all the way. Now I know his name is Darius Rucker and Hootie. No, he's Hootie. He's Hootie. <laughs> uh, actually, in the uh, VH1 behind the music with Hootie the Blowfish, he actually talks about how people call out to him in public, like "Hey, Hootie!" And he's like, "I hated it at first, but after so long, I just kind of got used to it." And Hootie, yeah. Hootie and the Blowfish were actually um, names that they gave to some friends of theirs that would come over to their college dorm. You know, little, cool. little, little hootie knowledge. I hate that I know these things. So please, please join us next week for Hootie Cast. It's another spinoff that we're doing. Yeah, um, that's going to be your own spinoff. I'm not doing Hootie Cast. So no, I'm not. Okay, this probably should have been the opener to the album. With the way the song builds, they should not have led the album with their biggest hit ever. I'm sure that was a label thing. They're like at the front. It may have been. But I don't think they should have put their big one up front. I think this should have been, you know, the first song. I'm going to go ahead and say swap one and six. Because, yes, while this one builds, this one gives you the full feeling of what this band is. Can't agree with that because I will say this one and one more that we'll get to later were two that I didn't love on the record, but they played them live. If if I remember correctly, they played both of those live and they go over well live. And I think you're right. This is one that I listen to this album frequently, but this is a song that I never paid a whole lot of attention to. But, you know, focusing for it for this uh, episode, I paid a little more attention. And yeah, it does build nicely. It does drag a little for me, but once it gets going, it does. It has a nice vibe. It. it it does have a good build to it. I will give it that. But his hoodie shines bright. So so now we are entering into the section of the album that I really, really enjoy. I like the first couple tracks. Four, five, and six are okay. And then for me, this is the stretch that I really enjoy, starting with track seven, unnoticed. <laughs> Okay, I will agree with you that the last half of this album is better. The, Thank you. I, I will agree with you that it's better. It's still not my cup of dirty British water or tea, however you want to say it, but it is better than the first half. So, so okay. before we talk about the song, let me ask your opinion on this. For me, when you bring bands like This Wildlife and... The moon band, whatever they're called. That's half moon run. Okay. Half moon run. When you bring bands to me, I, I almost like immediately start to cringe because that whole sound just, it's hard for me to get into. Is that kind of this for you? Like, is this the genre that you just don't? Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's totally fair. I get that. Yes. This, uh, standard 
college rock post grunge sound i don't like i mean there is some post grunge stuff that i really enjoy sure but i think post grunge actually has kind of been a um become like a mixed bag because it's like post grunge is a sound but then it's also the things that came after grunge almost so it's a it's like a thing in time but then also a sound in itself yeah, so so with this song, they kick up they they kick up the tempo. You got some big like pop rock power chords going on. Uh, it's got a nice like groove to it. It it like has a steady rhythm to it. The pre-chorus before the chorus is kind of interesting because they go to a minor key and the drummer actually does some like tom fills, which is you know mixing it up a little bit from you know kind of the same uh structure uh, every song before this uh and i always like the line where he says too young to have a boyfriend too old to be alone you'll sneak him in your bedroom when no one else is home damn just like that was resonating with me when I was 13 years old, you know? <laughs> okay, so I do have that line down because I have to ask, how old is she? If she's too young to have a boyfriend, but too old to be alone, how old is she? So I get the impression that this is a song not about like sexual love, but like that young boyfriend, girlfriend on the phone for four hours at a time, you know, holding hands in a movie theater. Like that's the kind of, and maybe that's just because that's where I was at when I was listening to this for the first time, but that's kind of the way I always pictured it was, this is like high school kids. Like he, he's sneaking up to her bedroom, not for anything more than like a little peck on the lips and giggles. Like I don't, I, maybe that's my naivete, but that just, to me, this seems innocent. Okay, I can get that, uh, but I now have in my head the phrase peck on the giggles, and that's fun to me. So, okay. Well, hey, maybe I'm completely wrong, because you're throwing dead babies into this, <laughs> and I wasn't ready for that. I was having a good time until that happened. Okay, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and recommend to anybody listening, don't throw dead babies into anything. <laughs> just, no, no, just, please just don't. Don't. Uh, don't throw babies uh, into anything. Like okay, so this is one of the less repetitive songs on this entire album. The guitar is a lot of fun on this out al- on this song. I I did enjoy the the I did really enjoy the guitar here. But, okay, but that line of "too young to have a boyfriend, too old to be alone." Every time I heard it, I was going, "So how how old is she? Is she?" like in the teens is she in her 20s you know how how old is this person and i never looked up to see how old these guys were when they you know were recording this and all i have to assume that they were probably in the early 20s in their early 20s from doing a little bit of math it said they formed in 1990 and this album came out in 1998 and they joined in eighth they met each other in eighth grade so i'm going to assume that's 1990 so eight years later they probably would have been 19 20 years old they probably would have been like right out of high school they were probably a college rock band when they got signed yeah um so that's what i'm thinking is probably young love again like okay that that's fine it was a clever line i'll give it that fun guitar now track eight 
no one. Just, just go ahead and say what you need to say because this is going to hurt my feelings. Okay, it's got a nice little intro. It, it was a little quick. I wish they had actually drugged that out a little bit longer. The song picks up into better guitar than in other places, and very simple drums. I do like the twinkly guitar. Okay. On this one. Thank it, you. His voice ruins this song. Oh, it does not. I love it this does. song. It does. I I, um, I feel like on this one he sounds like Hootie taking a dump. I love this song. That's- I absolutely <laughs> love this song. It's so gorgeous. I think his voice sounds great. I love the guitars. I love the way they play off each other. This is another song where McKinney, the bass player, could just play single notes and it'd be boring, but he doesn't. He walks with it. The lyrics are beautiful. You can do anything you want, but don't you leave me alone. And no one feels like we do. Again, it's young love. It's like, okay, these aren't like that kind of statement is not something you say to the person you've been married to for 25 years. It's the thing you say to your eighth grade girlfriend at the dance because you're trying to be cool and poetic and you're just a bumbling idiot. There's a a bumbling idiot. So (laughs) true. Yeah, aren't we all? But this, but that's. (laughs) Like, again, and maybe I'm just because I heard it for the first time when I was 13, 14 years old. But to me, this is very innocent. And it it, it plays that way to me, even with his lyrics here. So I like this one a lot. I think it's a beautiful kind of childish love song. I like it. That's that's fine. You can like this one. Thank I, you for giving me permission. to yeah. Good song. I will say so the the last half of this album is better, but this song doesn't add anything to this album to me. I feel like this was a filler trick. This was one where they said, you know what? We're in the studio and we're, you know, we're trying to put out was this their first album? Yeah, we're trying to put out our first album. We need to get our track listing up. Now, however, what I will say is uh again, stupid uber fan i have their it's just they call it the green album but it's green with yellow letters says athenaeum it's their independent release that they put out before this and this song is on that and what year did that album come out what what year did that independent release come out i'm gonna guess 96 yeah nine weezer put out the blue album shut up that's not the point and that was 94 it doesn't matter so but this song it was uh, before you're right. Sorry, they put out Pinkerton in '96. Yes, so they put this. This song was on their independent release, and it's a little bit. Obviously, they don't have the big budget Atlantic Records 
money yet. So it does sound a little bit flatter, but the guitars are still really pretty and it has a little bit of a different vibe. If if you like this song and you want to hear kind of a stripped down alternate version, that's pretty cool. If I'm not mistaken, that independent album is on Spotify now. So all I think I think all their stuff is on Spotify. But that one's that one's pretty cool. Um so yes, the green album is on Spotify. Looking at it now. Now, there's one or two songs on there that are super cringy. There's one called Haircut that it's kind of funny, but it is it's you want to talk Hootie and the Blowfish. It's yeah, pretty bad. But the lyrics are funny and it's kind of, you know, whatever. I feel like that was a we're going to do an album. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like the kind of song that like everybody's sitting in the backyard on the deck drinking beer and he starts singing. And again, if you want to listen to it, go for it. It's it's funny, but it is very silly. He Uh, was the guy with the guitar at parties. Yes, I I pretty sure he was. Um, We all have that friend. God, you know what? There was a brief period of time where I was that friend. Oh, I know. I'm so glad I'm not that friend anymore. I just said we all have that friend. Shut up. So next song, So Long. This one is, I like this one a lot because it, again, you're talking about everything sharing the same Sonic, you know, whatever. This one's very different. This one has a completely different rhythm to it. It almost has like a swing beat. It's got big pop punk kind of chords. This one's fun. This one's a lot of fun. It goes over really well live, but it picks up a lot compared to most of the record. So my first note on this song is got some distortion on that guitar (laughs) because this is really the first time that we hear it. Now we heard a couple of different tones and things before where we heard, heard like slide guitar before you know, they kind of mixed up a little bit in the background and this one comes in and it's like, hey, by the way, we're going to change it up and our drums are going to do something completely different that it's not going to do for the rest of the album. And <laughs> we're actually going to have fun on this album, on this tra- on this track. I don't know why I'm trouble getting up words, but yeah. Some of the songs lyrically, it's, you know, he sings a lot about somebody becoming famous and, and, and moving on to bigger, better things. And it's hard to tell if he's, if it's self- referential because you know you know greensboro north carolina kid signed to atlantic records towards the world or if it's about you know someone else's perspective i'm not exactly sure but this one yeah lyrically musically it's just a big fun song you know even the chorus where he's like uh where he says good night so long you put your foot where your mouth belongs Like, that's silly, but it's it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun lyric. I feel like this is a really fun live song. It is. It absolutely is. Yeah. And the guitar solo on this one's cool. Because up until this point, most of the guitar solos have been very single note like lyrical sounding this one's a little bit more bendy and rock and roll again it's not super technical but it sounds like it yeah this this was a fun one this was a standout for me on this album because it is so different from everything else that's happened here yes his voice slots in the same place that it has in the past but (laughs) 
the band is doing something different, which makes me okay with hearing his voice sound the same. You leave Mark Kano alone. His voice is beautiful. I'm sorry. I, uh, I, I know you're going to see him this week at some point. I assume you guys are old friends. The way that you talk about him, the way that you defend this feller. <laughs> He's, he was, he was friends with my aunt. <laughs> they went to school together. They had chorus class together. Cool. I, I assume that he was only on certain songs in chorus because his voice sounds the same. He can't do anything different. He can carry a note, though. I will say that without getting a wheelbarrow. He can carry that note. All right, let's talk about track 10, Different Situation. Now, okay, what do you have to say about this song? Go ahead and give me, give me what you got. April 1998. All right, I was really hoping you were going to say April O'Neil, but go on. So 85, I was born. So 80, 98, I would have been in April, I would have been 12. So between 12 and 13, me and a couple of my buddies thought we were ready to start our first band. So this is your story. Yes. Okay. So we were like, well, we need to, to learn some songs and, and whatever. So I learned how to play this song on guitar. My dad taught me. It's very, it's very cool. It's just an A chord where the bass note moves around. So it's, it's, it's a pleasant sounding progression, but it's not that hard to play. Now, at this age, I already knew you got to get permission to do covers. So my 12 year old, 13 year old self emailed the band and said, Hey, me and my buddies have started a band. We're called the big dogs. And we wanted to know if we could cover your song. And they emailed me back within just a couple of days and said, Hey Luke, absolutely. You can cover our song. And we hope the big dogs become very successful. (laughs) And uh, I tell you, it was really sweet of them to just even play along, you know, and, 20 some years later, I still think about that from time to time. It's very cringy, but at the same time, (laughs) but at the same time, I think every musician has, has some of that either meeting people that they looked up to or corresponding with other bands or something. So yeah, this song does kind of hold a soft spot for me. Uh, When I pick up an acoustic guitar and I'm hanging out with my kids, I'll still play it um, from time to time. Another reason I thought we could do this one is because there's a nice little accordion in it, and my dad plays accordion. So I was like, perfect. <laughs> so but I, I like this song. I, I'm with you on everybody has something cool, you know, not everybody, but, you know, musically inclined people, I guess, musically minded people. Because I have plenty of things where I had a band actually write back to me or you know, reply back to you or I met somebody. So I'm, I'm with you on that would have been the thing that I bragged about when I was 13 years old, I would have been all over it. I, I fully understand it, but why? I mean, I guess I get at 12 years old, why you would pick the most uninteresting, boring song. That's easy to play on this entire album. Oh, 
I, I, okay. So this is another example of when you say everything sounds the same. I, I struggle with that because this one has an accordion, which is an instrument they have not implemented yet. The guitar and I think the way the first verse goes with the guitar, vocal and accordion is very simple. He'll take you home and then write a song about it. He's so alone. You'd never think to doubt it. He is the tricky kind. She's gonna fall into his covers He's gonna search his mind He will find a way to love her I find it very pretty. Like, I think it sonically sounds maybe not interesting in a way that is like oh the nuance and all the like technical whatever but as just like sitting listening to someone play guitar and sing like it sounds very pleasant to me uh the chorus is not as interesting to me as the verses are i like the verses a lot the chorus is just kind of to me to get from point a to point b because i do like the bridge as well And the bridge kind of bleeds back into the chorus nicely. Uh, it, it's funny that we talk about like, I, I bring them up again because I think this is kind of the yin, yin and yang here, but like this wildlife, like those kinds of songs. To me, those are just like two, three chords over and over and over, and they don't do anything interesting to me. But then a song like this, you feel the same way about and I'm like, no, but there's an accordion. We're like a couple episodes ago. You're like, yeah, but there's a banjo. Like, who cares? Like, <laughs> so I, I, I get what you're saying. And again, it's it's the nostalgia thing. It's the rose colored glasses. This one, obviously, because of the emails and stuff is very sentimental to me. I get that. But as a song on its surface. No, I get it. I get it. OK, the accordion was was neat. But I don't feel like the accordion really mixed things up in a way that made this song anything special. I get no, it's special because of the email correspondence and, and whatnot that you yeah. had. I get that. Cool. Not for me. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. My heart can't take much more. So. That's not the name of the next song, everybody. No, <laughs> but I'm going to ask. Be gentle. Okay. Track 11, Anyone. you like it a little bit i like the tone on his guitar here his guitar is doing doing good stuff here i like the guitar in this in this track he's got a great little solo yeah the rest of the song doesn't hold water for me but his guitar is on point here so this is another one, kind of like No One and some of the other songs before this. 
that it sounds like an innocent, awkward love song. It sounds like because I honestly think a lot of these songs were written when these guys were in middle school and high school. And that's what this sounds like to me. It sounds like bad middle school poetry. And boy, did I write a lot of that when I was in middle school. Yeah, I wrote, so I wrote a me, good bit too. So I understand that. Right. So for me, that's what I'm feeling when I hear this song. It sounds like to me, again, a 13, 14 year old boy trying to be cool. So he puts on a slow song to dance with his girlfriend and it's awkward and clumsy. And that's charming to me. I really like the chorus on this one. It's it's kind of cliched, but it is it's nice sentiment. And this one has a little bit of organ mixed in. That's, you know, not flashy, but it's in the mix. I mix, I missed the organ on this one. It's subtle. It's it's not even as obvious as the accordion in different situation. It's even more in the background. I do like but, an organ, so. Yeah, this one to me is just a really simple, pretty love song. The music even has a little bit of a, it's, it's in 4-4, but it has a little bit of a waltz feel to it. Uh, this, I think. I think this is a really pretty song. I like this one. Yeah. If you don't, that's fine. I don't no, care. I, I like the guitar here. That that was the biggest thing I took away from this one is I like the guitar on this one. Now, and I, and I guess I didn't actually think about this, but maybe his voice is a hurdle because his voice is, you know, so like, for example, when you brought up the Radiohead record, I mentioned that, God, his voice is one of like just nails on a chalkboard for me for sometimes. And I can see Kano's voice because it is very distinct being that way for some people. I just wish he had tried to step outside of his comfort zone. I wish he had tried to step outside of that same sound this entire time because it's like there's no high end, there's no low end, there's just the end. Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, I can't I can't really argue with that. And uh, we've we've talked about some other bands and we'll talk about more bands in the future where I like a vocalist that's a little left to center. That's a little bit I don't want to say objectively bad, but I mean, just not a typical sounding vocalist. Yeah. And I'm with you on that because, I mean, I've brought forward a couple albums so yeah. far of of bands that have singers that you know, a feature not a bug, as you've said. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, this is a feature. And for you, I think it's more of a bug. <laughs> yes. Yes. And anytime you've got a singer that has a very distinct sound, it's going to be, it's going to differ gonna be on who you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. And now, be you, you got this album when you were in the awkward phase. And so it struck a chord with you and you kind of ran with it for 25 years now. And that's fine. That's fine. So, okay. Let's talk about Radiance. Track 12. Let's close out this album with probably the best song on this entire album. This closer is, a, it's a damn good closer. I will say this is just a good track all the way through. That's so funny how me and you can like, we love so much of the same stuff. We dislike things for different reasons. 
This is probably in my bottom three on the album, but they do play it live every time I, you know, the two times I saw them, they played it live and it goes over well live. Because um, it's a good song. It is. It's a well-written song. Do you know why Radiance? No. Do you know why that's the name of the album and everything? I do not. Because they, uh, I don't remember if it was Street or Drive or what, but it was the name of the street that they, like, the band house was on. Okay. I think it's Radiance Drive, and it is in Greensboro, and we've driven down it before just for nostalgia's sake. I don't know which house it is exactly, but that's where the Radiance name came from. Okay. It's a, you know, it's a good little name. You know, it's no problem. Yeah, this is a good song. It's one that usually, different situation, like I said, that stretch of like seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven is just like, for me personally, just banger after banger after banger. So when I get to Radiance, a lot of times I'm just kind of like, all right, I'm I'm good. I I might listen to the whole song, or I might just go on. And see, this is where I, you know, I had said that was it. Track eight was a filler. I yeah. feel like they could have left that off, made this an eleven track album, and actually, you know, still had the good closure here. You know, yeah. one of those stronger tracks on the album. Uh, this album overall only had three tracks that jumped out to me that I really I really took, and Radiance was one of them. I will stick to it. That's a great intro. You know, the thing, the place where this band really shines is their intros. I wish they had actually stretched their intros out a little bit longer. You know, yeah. I don't think their, their closings, uh, the way they close songs is great. I don't think it's bad. I thought it was awful on one of them, but I, I think their intros are a strong point and their guitar player is a strong point. I, I like a lot of the musicianship on this album in general. I think Mark Hano has a knack for writing catchy pop rock college songs. And I think that's almost to his detriment yep. because when the time, the times they are a changing, they didn't really. Okay. Yep. They, but yeah, you know, like they just kind of kept putting out Athenaeum records. And then after Athenaeum was done, Mark Kano did put out a, a solo record, which is also on Spotify. It sounds just like this. Mm -hmm. There's very little difference there, which again, for me, cool. I enjoyed listening to it, but it doesn't do anything that would um, help them resonate in 2002, 2004, 2005. Right. Now, I also don't know personal stuff. They might have broken up for different reasons. I get the impression that after their second album failed to have a hit song, like what I didn't know on it, I think Atlantic Records probably said, put out a third record and go away. Which record was, which was the B-side album. Right. Which again has its moments, but I don't think they were trying to like recreate. Yeah. Or they were really trying. What's really funny though is if you listen to that album, you can hear one or two songs. And I think I've even like read the liner notes or something where they were like, we wrote this song. Yeah, there's one in particular. I can't remember the name. The liner notes say, we wrote this song at the same time we wrote What I Didn't Know, and we thought they sounded too similar. So we put What I Didn't Know on the record, and we saved this one for later. And so here's later. Here it is. It yeah. sounds super similar. But a lot of bands, you know, I mean, kind of do that. So where this album, you know, struck a chord with you and you identify with it at 12 years old. Now, there are plenty of albums that I have latched on to at different points in, in life for different reasons and sure. i think it says something that this band 
put out an album when they were, you know, 19, 20 years old of silly love songs that have lyrics like you would write in eighth grade, which struck a chord with you and, you know, you identify with it, of course, but it's a college rock band that's putting forth lyrics like that. So I think that's actually something that probably hurt them because if that's the level at which he was writing lyrics, the rest of the band was, you know, the drummer was probably wanting to do more. You, you know, you talked about how the bass player was probably getting bored in the studio, playing the same four chords and the guitar player obviously is more talented. I think the, the singer, what's his name? Mark Kano. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was probably just trying to hang on to what I didn't know. No, I think he was I, trying to hang on to something from his past, and he was trying to hang on to the band and keep up with the band, but he wasn't as talented as probably the rest of the band. I I kind of disagree with that, because I think from everything that I've seen and read, he wrote all the music. Now, granted, he didn't. He probably didn't write the guitar solo and say, hey, play this. He probably didn't tell the bass player, hey, play this. But I mean, as far as what chords, what lyrics, structures of the songs, he did most of that. So I think that without that kind of guidance, you don't even have an album for the musicians to play on. So, and and I've been in bands where I did a lot of that. I've been in bands where I just shut up and played what I was told. And so I've, I've kind of been on both sides of it. I think, you know, I'm really trying to be objective because I know my nostalgia is really just like this album just drips with nostalgia for me. So when I think about it objectively, though, I can see I can hear the flaws and I can also hear that for all intents and purposes, this is a dated album. Yes, there are there are records from the 90s and 70s and 60s and 50s that are timeless. And the songs sound just as good now as they did then. But this is a very this is a period piece. It this is. is it is. This is a late 90s college rock record. And looking at it through that lens, just that you know, microscope, I think it's better than a lot of its contemporaries. In 2023, is it this incredible record that everybody needs to revisit? I don't know. Maybe there's something in here that'll like pull at your heartstrings a little bit. Maybe not. Maybe it is just a dated 90s record that just means a lot to me because I grew up listening to it. All right. Closing statements. Let's do it. Go for it. You go first. Okay. The band had a breakout with what I didn't know and left us with a fine album with fine hooks. This album is College Radio of 1998. It occasionally can sound ordinary and standard, but Athenaeum's debut is a collection of melodic post-grunge that pulls heavily from early R.E.M., Hooting the Blowfish, and other standard acts that played the college bar circuit in the South. The songs here are a little uneven and rough, but the hooks... They have sink in and create a charm that is only something that exists in North Carolina. I give this album a 4.5. That's okay. That's okay. Yep. So I know this is a big nostalgia record for me. I heard this at the exact right time for it to really resonate with me. However, with that being said, I still think this is an above average college radio alternative pop rock album from the 90s that doesn't get as much love and respect as it should. I'm unsure of exactly why these guys couldn't get a couple more hits on the radio. 
I feel like some of their contemporaries at the time weren't quite as good as they were. I think this is just as good an album as some of the albums put out by bands like Third Eye Blind and Eve Six, who have had much, much bigger careers. It does sound dated, and the genre is almost all but dead. But for what it is, I think this is a solid record. On a personal level, it takes me back to exactly where I was and what I was doing in 1998, and I know most people won't have that attachment to it. However, taken at face value, taken on its merits of its songs and its music, I still think this is a solid college radio alt-pop rock album. 1 to 10, I give it a 6.5. Okay, a 6.5 from you and a 4.5 from me puts this album at 5.5. So it puts this album tied with Cold Chamber, Chamber Music, and (laughs) Pulse Ultra Headspace. Wow. Right under Memphis May Fire condition interesting interesting mm-hmm. so that puts it at number 16 on our um i'm gonna call it our all-time hits list all right thank you for listening everybody if you have a suggestion of something that you want to hear us talk about if you have an album that you want us to really dive into and uh break apart criticize or gush over we'll see how whatever it is you suggest send us an email at danger at gmail.com or reach out to us on one of our social media platforms facebook instagram or x at Danger and Sarge, and just search an ampersand, the squiggly and thing, not the letters and. So, right. or, or if you just type Danger Sarge, it usually pops up too. Yeah, yeah. So, Monster, <laughs> what album are we talking about next week? Next week, we will be talking about Dayseeker's 2019 record, Sleep Talk. All right, Danger, we got to get out of here. You have to help me cure my bacon addiction.